As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm joined now by Alex Stewart. Hey, Joe. Seb Savard-Bloor. Hello, Joe. Hello, uh, how's it going? Today we'll be talking about Leicester City's set-piece delivery and its ineffectiveness. But also we'll be talking about Spurs and, you know, what? <laughs> what? We'll be talking about what with Spurs, including Eric Lamella and, of course, Lloris. So that's going to be lots of fun. Uh, there'll be a return to Joe's player quotes and facts list uh, midway through the second half. Uh, but for now, let me remind you, if you like... The Champions League. And who doesn't like the Champions League? Why? Because that's a league for champions. And everyone listening to this is a champion. Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Someone tell me I'm right? No? Yeah, I am right. Uh, Listen, if you like it, though, it comes back this week. So that's a great thing. And hey, as a consequence, there's no better time to sign up for our unrivaled coverage here at The Athletic until February the 25th, which is 10 days from the moment I'm saying this. We're offering new subscribers a half-price annual subscription. That's a half-price annual subscription. That's less than £1 a week for an entire year. Do you know what that actually is? That's 8p a day. Maybe we should resurface the 8p a day song. People seem to like that. But simply visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO today to avail yourselves of the 8p per day offer and enjoy the Champions League. Am I right? Do you know how many days it is since the champions league group stages before it properly comes back i don't know what what what, what can you rephrase the question so i can understand you <laughs> <laughs> what is the gap between the champions league group stage and the resumption of fixtures i don't have <laughs> 45 days no 50. no 69 did you just want to say the word 69? Is that why you've... Because people like to meme on that. And I don't know, is that you? Or are you just saying that because that's it, a long time? I'm just reading... It's it's the opening line of the Athletics Guide to the Champions League knockout phase, 69 <laughs> days after the... I just thought it was important for people to know that. <laughs> well, if you visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, you can avail yourselves. Anyway, please I, do I that. don't understand. No, you wouldn't. Uh, anyway, that's all. Uh, welcome to today's episode, and I will leave you in the the warm hands and the cook-a-cook-a-cool embrace of uh, Seb Stafford-Bloor and uh, old man Alex Stewart. 
let's just begin with Spurs. Um, I, I, I sort of trailed this in the last episode by describing them as a, you know, a team that make me feel like being in a long-term relationship. You know, do other couples do this? What's happening? I have no perspective. And I think we should pick up from that point. Um, because I was reading... Uh, Jack Pitbrooks, and I think Mark Carey might have uh, been involved too, or, or one of the one of the data chaps from the Athletic, great great team, uh, wrote this piece uh, a week or two ago, talking about this very thing. How do you identify a, a Mourinho Spurs? What actually is it? How good is it? Um, and there's a, a couple of notes I've taken from this piece. The first is probably widely known, right? Or at least even if you didn't know the specific stat, you probably could have guessed that 50% of Tottenham's chances have been created by Son and Kane. Now that could be a good thing, or that could be a bad thing, we'll come back to that. Also, Spurs have been leading in games for the second longest of all clubs in the Premier League after Manchester City, which sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Uh, But then we read the final one, which is that Spurs have turned wins into draws in the last 16 minutes of five games from 22, and those teams include Newcastle, West Ham, Palace, Wolves and Fulham. They would be 10 points better off if they hadn't thrown away leads in those games. So whilst we're going to talk about them uh, in today's episode as they relate to uh, losing 3-0 to Manchester City, this is perhaps not actually necessarily the main problem. Um, And of course, also, if you're a subscriber to The Athletic, you will have seen Monday morning David Ornstein discussing Mourinho's contract. Um, David Ornstein there just uh, just letting everybody know that he's Mourinho signed till the summer of 2023 and there's no break clause. And as we know from Mourinho's past... He's expensive to get rid of. So, Seb, with all of that in mind, Seb, poor Seb, should Spurs continue <laughs> with Mourinho? God, what a way to start a week. I mean, we're recording yeah, this on know. Monday morning. For everybody's perspective, that's the first thing that's greeted me in my working week is the news of Jose Mourinho being pretty much unsackable for the foreseeable future. Yep. It's a, it's a tough pill to swallow. It's very difficult, Joe, because... I think one of the defences of Mourinho, or at least one of the uh, one of the rationales going forward, is that if he were to be endowed with uh, maybe four or five new players, specifically a couple of centre backs, probably another midfielder, maybe even another goalkeeper, at a cost of I don't know two hundred fifty million pounds, three hundred million pounds, something like that, then uh, he would no doubt improve this side. But I think the broader and more important question is whether if you have those resources available. Uh, at Tottenham, whether Jose Mourinho is the right person to uh, give them to. Because I don't think it's particularly controversial to say that they are much worse than they were now at the beginning of Mourinho's reign. I think um, the last couple of weeks, taking all the issues about style and um, the prioritisation of defending and you mentioned that statistic about taking a slender lead and then collapsing back into their own half and inviting lots of crosses and free kicks and corners from which they inevitably concede forget all of that what's really concerning is just how vulnerable pretty much every player in his first 11 now looks one of Mourinho's common refrains is to talk about individual mistakes after disappointing defeats he did it again after Man City Uh, He did it after the Liverpool game, and he's not wrong. There are a lot of mistakes being made. At the same time, however, if if it's a couple of error-prone players, then you kind of just drop them, don't you? When it's a core of error-prone players who are now looking um, as bereft of confidence as they have at any other point of their career, I think then you, you can't... 
you can't distance yourself from that as a manager. It's a really weird thing, this this idea that if individual mistakes are happening within a team, then that is something completely beyond the control of a head coach. That seems a very strange mentality for me that players playing badly is not something that falls under the job description of Jose Mourinho. I, I, please jump in if you guys disagree. But No, I, um, I don't disagree. I, don't, but I want to take the point to Alex too, because I think I've noticed this as well. He brings this up a lot. Um, and, you know, I suppose the idea is to say, well, the system's working. It's just the individual errors leading to goals. Presumably, Alex, errors happen in football games and coaches have to accept that they are going to happen. You don't, you very rarely have uh, a football game where at least one or two errors don't occur. Maybe they're not massive, but players aren't perfect. And as a coach, you have to expect that. So if you play or if you're intending to play a style of football where one error uh, leads to a goal and a goal is as costly as it is in a low scoring game then presumably the coaches have to accept that before they before they attempt that style yeah totally um i mean there there is no there is no player however good they are that that isn't going to make a mistake of some description at some point and and so it comes exactly like you say it comes down to an acceptance of that trying to mitigate that with certain things. And obviously, I think one of the things that Mourinho has done defensively, and let's not forget that this is a season where some of those defensive performances, I'm thinking particularly the the 2-0 well against Manchester City, have been absolutely lauded for how how well that defensive system worked. So there is a degree to which, you know, that this is a topsy-turvy season and it's worked a lot and now it's not working quite so well. Um, but I think that also goes, again, like Seb says, to... Yeah, if if you're looking to mitigate those errors, one of the ways is to upgrade the players, and and I think particularly at centre back, I mean Davidson Sanchez became a meme in in, in quite quite extraordinary fashion. You know that that that's the sort of error that we've seen from Sanchez before, maybe not as extreme, but you know a misjudgment of flight, um, the, the being out muscled despite the fact that he's significantly larger than than Gundogan. You know the, these sorts of things shouldn't really happen. Um, and and I I guess the the problem then is would Spurs have sufficient funds and is Mourinho necessarily the person. Uh, to spend them. I mean, the Hoiberg signing has been very successful. Uh, Region, I'd argue, has been a good signing as well. Um, but that you know that it this is a squad that that yes, it probably needs an overhaul. But again, I go back to this fact that after the Everton loss, first game of the season when Tottenham were absolutely woeful and everyone got really excited about Everton as well, they then went on a run of Premier League games where they didn't lose again until mid December. Yeah, and that was to Liverpool. So, well, know, let me they... bring this up again because this, this is this is a really fine point, Alex. That the five teams that they have been leading against and dropped points in the last sixteen minutes were Newcastle, Palace, Wolves, Fulham. The only one here that I think this is maybe slightly different is West Ham, who are having a fantastic season. The other teams, Wolves don't score goals. I don't score many of them. So the idea that when you're ahead, you drop points is is you know is is unlikely, I suppose. Uh, Fulham, Newcastle, Palace, uh, none, of, none of whom are having fantastic seasons. If they had, uh, you know, I know this isn't how football works, but let's just say, for example, that they hadn't dropped a goal in those games and they'd kept those points, they'd be 10 points better off. They would currently be point level with Manchester United and Leicester in second and third place. 
We expect them maybe to lose to Manchester City, a Manchester City in the current form that they're in. We expect them maybe to lose to Liverpool, right? This isn't so much the problem. Uh, so when you when you consider that, I mean, that seems like a very un-Mourinho-like thing to do. You, you know, and then it kind of talk, you know it seems like discussions of squad overhaul are kind of they seem a bit alarming to me because you think well actually they've got a, a, a number of uh, very very good players. Uh, Burr has come in and has been fantastic this season and Dombele is uh, is showing much more of his quality and is, seems to be trusted by Mourinho now, which is fantastic. Obviously, you've got the, the, the Kane and Son access and when they're playing well and that counter-attack is working, they're you know scintillating. They're some of the best forwards in the league. Um, we've got Eric Lamella, who we're going to come on to talk about. And of course, we, we, you know, we're going to talk about uh, Loris too. Um, but it feels like, you know, but for a, you know, a tweak here or there, I'm not trying to defend Mourinho. I'm just, I'm, I think I'm trying to defend Spurs generally it seems like that's the problem losing to Manchester City isn't so much a problem the way in which they lost which is which they were and I hope Seb will agree with me almost entirely abject and offered literally nothing to the game that's a yeah. problem but uh, that they lost here isn't a problem it's these other games that are I think that's fair I mean you know I'd, I'd say with the Fulham game for example they created significantly better chances. That's a game that on most other days they would have won. You know, there, there's, I, I suppose all I'm saying is that I'm being slightly cautionary in terms of the fact that this is a very topsy-turvy season and people are, there's, there's a kind of seizing on narratives, things ebb backwards and forwards. Spurs started the season really strongly quite a few of the games that they've lost are games that you would probably have expected them to lose. I think this is much more a stylistic point. It's the fact that when when you play a certain style of football and it doesn't work, the perception of that is more damaging than if you were playing an exciting attacking brand of football and that didn't work. You could have the same set of results, but it's the manner of, of the results. It's the defensiveness, it's the caginess, it's the reliance on a couple of players that makes it feel worse than it possibly is. No, fair enough. Seb, I'm going to ask you about Eric Lamella now uh, because you know <laughs> I love him. <laughs> by the way, he made he made yesterday's game quite fun uh, to watch. Um, but we were talking with producer Adonis in the WhatsApp chat during the game. Uh, Alex and I were praising uh, Lamella's shithousery just for entertainment value, and Adonis said, "What is he actually good at, though?" And so I thought, uh, you know, that's a good that's a good question for the podcast. Seb, what is Eric Lamella actually good at? couple of different things. I, I suppose with the ball, he's a very decadent player. He's someone that doesn't overly concern himself with the problems associated with giving it away. He'll happily take risks. He will dwell on the ball. He'll hold it for longer than he's supposed to. When he's running to the teeth of a defence, he's happy to try something. Um, he's a very low percentage player in that way. Um, without the ball, I think it's an easier case to make. He's a very hardworking player. He is absolutely, well, he must be absolutely horrible to play against because he's all elbows and studs and he's got that sort of um, provocative attitude to him, which if I was a fan of any other any other club in the division, I'd hate Eric Lamella. But because he's yours, you love him because there's a spirit to him that um, doesn't endear him to the fan base entirely, but those who appreciate him, that's the kind of thing that they focus on. But that being said, he is he's always been a very divisive footballer, uh, even before his, his serious hip injury, which kept him out for about a year and a half, which I'd argue he's never really been the same athlete ever since. He's very rarely been able to play more than once a week since then. Um, even before then, 
And I think this is partly because he was signed with the Gareth Bale money and because he was a left-footed player and because a lot of people who didn't know quite what he was were expecting something a little bit more Bale-like from Lamella, which he was, as anyone who watched him play for Roma will know, he was never going to be that player. Um, so he's a, he's, he's like... Um, He's the thing that Tottenham fans have been arguing over for the longest period of time, with the exception of Daniel Levy and Enoch. <laughs> he's uh, he's contentious, but I I've always I've always liked Terry Lamella. Like I, I if you accept him for what he is, which is that he is going to turn the ball over, he is going to try things, and you know he's very binary. He is going to disappoint you as much as he's going to entertain you. Uh, then if you if you if you know where you stand with that kind of player, it, it's an easier relationship, I think. Alex, he looks delighted to be a Mourinho player. <laughs> yes, um, I mean, uh, for a for an attacking midfielder winger, his his defensive work rate is is extraordinarily high. Um, I mean, there is one interesting thing: his pressure numbers are fantastic. His interception numbers are significantly lower, which I think means uh, there's a degree to which he rushes into those pressures without necessarily. Um, having the right sort of angles to then actually win the ball back. Um, but in terms of how much effort he puts into it and the degree to which he's able to to push defensive players back or at least give them something to worry about, that's that's fantastic. You know, I, I look back over some of his previous players. A goal he scored, Seb will almost certainly remember this because he has an encyclopedic knowledge for these things. A goal he scored against Middlesbrough in January of 2020. Um <laughs> which is I mean it's just glorious it's a slaloming little run and then a lovely dinked finish and he's very he's he seems like a very good finisher of the ball um my concern with him under Mourinho is that he spends so much time pressuring chasing working hard being a shithouse that actually his ability to get into the box on the end of things and finish competently which he does and has done very well in the past has been diminished um so you know i feel like maybe if lamella was freed up a little bit to be slightly more attacking we'd see more of him because i think he's got the skill set for that alex do you think maybe there's a little bit too much responsibility in this system so i mean I, one of the things that occurred to me when i was watching the city game was that uh, and this was obviously um a couple of days after Mourinho had had praised lamella and talked about him as a sort of an agent of chaos one of the problems seems to be that in a Mourinho attacking structure, if you take the uh, the Kane-Son axis and the counter-attacking dynamic out of things, then what you're left with is individual players carrying the ball into areas where they're outnumbered and then being asked to kind of ad-lib their way to a good solution. And if you do that with Eric Lamella, you, you kind of tempt him along that sort of long road of, of indulgence, which kind of frustrates people. And it feels like there, there is so little happening uh, around attacking players at Tottenham. When they cross the halfway line, unless the ball is with uh, at Kane's feet or Son's feet, and actually, let's be honest, Son looks absolutely spent um, as, a, as, a, as a player at the moment, which is completely understandable because he's been run into the ground. But nothing is happening. There's no, there are no, there are no, there's no running. There's no consolidation of possession. Uh, to be honest with you, given given the sort of the quality of footballers in that side, it's amazing how uncomfortable Spurs look with the ball. <laughs> It's it's like they're a basketball team. They can't. They can either go forward or they can fall back, but they can't just hold the ball, and they can't sort of. They can't spend any time sort of drawing the sting of a game or uh, trying to alter the flow of momentum within it. And that Eric Lamella in that context is uh, more likely to be <laughs> be a problem than an asset. I think. 
I, th- I think that's right. And and in fact, here's a sort of slightly weird parallel for you. Alan Sam-Maximan in early this season, Newcastle, um, where, you know, the, the one opportunity that he would have during games was to get the ball relatively deep and try and carry it forwards in the absence of a great deal of support. And Lamella is a good ball carrier. There's no doubt about that. But his starting position is so deep. Um, really what you want with Lamella, I think, from having watched past clips where he's been successful, is you want him up with an attack where there's at least a couple of other people who are making runs that are drawing defenders away. And he he seems to thrive making those those little runs kind of into the space around the penalty area, carrying the ball forward slightly and then shooting or passing. You know, he's the kind of player who worked very well in how uh, Mauricio Pochettino constructed Spurs attacking system you know with those little interchanges players running from deep players finding space in between the lines his starting position under Mourinho is too deep to be able to do that because he's got these defensive responsibilities it's exactly the same you know again we praise Steven Bergwijn in that Man City win for how much he acted effectively as a second right-sided wing back but if you've got players like that, and that's what they're doing, then of course they're not going to be up there for every single attack and linking play and finding space because they're spending all of their time in their defensive third. So, well, this is the thing, and I think this is the crucial point actually, because I've got a um, one of my Spurs supporting friends. His thing is um, hates Lamella as a starter, but thinks he's an excellent substitute, um, and I think that's that's quite a, that's a kind of a reflection of what you just said there, because I think. When you take away, say, say you're, um, say you've got a two-one lead, one-nil lead. When you bring on Lamella against a team who are committing more numbers, who are taking more risks with the ball and making themselves more liable to turn over possession, he's very good because he can he, he can start relatively high, but he can also retrieve the ball and use it quite quickly in attacking situations. Whereas if you use him, if you use him from the start in a Mourinho system, which is um, habitually far more cautious. Then you're 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 lumbering him with things which, and let, let let's not look beyond the athletic thing. He is not physically what he was. He's I mean, if you look at if you watch him run as a 21, 22 year old versus how he moves now, he's fundamentally different. And this is a kind Absolutely. of a legacy of a very serious injury. And uh, the acceleration has kind of gone. And you know he looks he looks older than he is. Um, but it's um it just seems to be about usage with him. He looks like you could cut glass on his cheekbones, though, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he's, he's got that sort of Italian model statue. vibe, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well. well, anyway, uh, speaking of another Italian model, we're going to move to a French model now. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hugo Lloris, 
Uh, it's been a liability for some time, um, but never quite as bad as it is now, it doesn't seem. Uh, of course, there were discussions about the, the softness of the goals that he conceded over the weekend and the softness of some of the goals that he's conceded recently. But beyond that, uh, you know, his kicking's always been bad. And uh, as Seb writes here, uh, the control he used to exert over his defenders now seems non-existent. So obvious question is, and this is extra complicated by the fact that he's the club's captain, Seb, what happens next? I think you have to replace him at some point. I think looking at his Spurs career as a whole, he has done an awful lot of good. But I have a little bit of a theory with goalkeepers that once they reach a certain point and you can kind of, it's not it's not a, stati- a statistical measure. It's not like something you can really quantify. It's just a feeling you get of a point of no return. <laughs> and Tottenham goalkeepers have um, have kind of proven this in part. It's like Paul Robinson reached it, became just an irretrievable um, situation for him. His form was so bad. Brad Friedel got old and, you know, started refusing to leave his yeah. goal line. They're like that dogs that crawl under the porch to die, aren't they? Well, yeah, well, you can also, you can go back to Ian Walker, who, who reached the same point, had a good career and then, yeah, sort of um, yeah, tailed off quite badly. Lloris, he just, the number of soft goals is amazing. Uh, you know, he still makes the occasional good save, but if you look at the the Everton game, it's not just about, you hear the, the phrase chocolate wrist being uh, thrown around. And there's a little bit of that. He's, his hands have become very soft. But also, if you look at things like a starting position and um, how, if you look at the, the Bernard goal, for instance, you look at, we, we talked about it on the last podcast about how, what a nice ball through it was from a Gilfie Sigerson. And we were right. But at the same time, from a goalkeeper's perspective, that ball hangs in the air a little bit. Uh, it checks on the grass. And Lloris just, he, he, he settles on just um, adopting a position, allowing Bernard to set his feet, take his time and score. And that's a, in, in isolation, fine. It's just a choice and it's a bad one. And we, we all look at the fact that a goal has been scored and we criticise the goalkeeper for it. Okay, but this is a trend with Lloris. He does this again and again and again and again. There's not enough aggression in his goalkeeping for my liking. Um, and... I don't know. I, I, uh, I've spoken to David Priest about this in the past, about sort of the effect that a, a fragile goalkeeper can have on a on a defence. And if you look at the kind of mistakes that Tottenham's defence are making, mixed in with all of their other areas, I don't know whether Lloris is responsible for that, but it's certainly not benefiting them um, because it, it's absolute chaos. I mean, they... I watched the Everton game last night against Fulham and I can't believe the Spurs conceded five goals to that team. It's just <laughs> terrible. He also, he doesn't look happy, you know, and I, yeah, I want people to be happy. How old is he now? He's, he's in his, in his 33, 30s. I think. 33. 32, 33. Yeah. Maybe he should just retire and go and, you know, do something like he could become a painter or maybe he could start a vineyard or, you know, uh, take up collecting minerals or something. But, well, you know, I mean, I want him, I, I want I him to be happy, Seb. But Joe, the, the the pathway to that happiness for him doesn't necessarily lie in starting a vineyard. I mean, it could do. I mean, don't get me wrong, but but he still probably has a few years left as a goalkeeper. I think it's his situation. I think if you're a Tottenham player who has gone through the uh, the uh, Mauricio Pochettino era 
and uh, Lloris arrived at the club during the um, during the Andre Villas-Boas era. So he's been there a long yeah. time now, and he's seen a lot it's of not, managers. It's, and just to thing. clarify, I want to. I'm going to interrupt you, and I'm going to interrupt you to say it's not that I don't think he still has a few years left in him. It's not that. It's just. Do you know when you're doing something and you just bail? <laughs> yeah, but this. this, <laughs> or, this is, no, this hold is on, hold on. You book like though. a you book a concert ticket and then you don't go. <laughs> But actually, that evening at home is the best evening at home you've had in a long time. Even though you've been at home every evening, that evening it's like you're running away from something, or you know you're in a you're in a long term relationship that, that you're unhappy in, and one day you just leave. You know what I'm saying? People just run away. Running away doesn't solve problems, but it feels amazing when you run away. What I'm advocating for is just running away. Why doesn't Why doesn't he just run away? Well, I I think he might do because I think if you were if you'd been at the club during the Mauricio Pochettino era and you'd seen yeah. the title challenges and the European Cup final, yeah. and now you're looking at what your future probably holds here, I mean... Run away. Right. I mean, there must be that, that, that must be the impulse because you're not thinking, oh, we're, we're on the verge of doing something here. Maybe they are, but I mean, that wouldn't be the, the feeling inside the Tottenham squad. It's a, it is the um, quote unquote long, painful rebuild. And this looks like a process which is, you know, probably got two three years left to run so and you know there, there are there are negative connotations linked to this aren't there people say things like oh rats fleeing a sinking ship but i think hey if i was on a sinking ship i'd flee i don't mind being a rat rats are, are ultra competitive animals they can gnaw through brick you know they they can squeeze through any kind of hole yeah really good self-preservation uh you know they can they can survive with all these diseases that would kill everything else they're killers of the underworld you know i'd happily be a rat if the ship is sinking <laughs> you should get off the ship you don't want to be on the ship that's there'd be ghosts in the ship you don't want to drown well i'm all i'm saying is i want him to be happy and i feel like if he just considered the thing about the minerals or the vineyard you know, maybe just get your ducks in order for three years down the line when you are ready. I'm sure he's doing that. I, I'd just be curious to know what he's doing. How do people spend their days? Anyway, we're going to be back after this break uh, to talk about Leicester and uh, specifically Leicester's set pieces. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Well, luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's talk about Leicester's set pieces um, because, uh, again, this is an observation made by uh, producer Adonis watching uh, Leicester-Liverpool um, over the weekend. Of course, they won the game. We'll come to discuss that. Uh, but the first thing that uh, that was noticed was uh, every time there was a set piece, it was a bad set piece. And Alex looked at the stats. I did look at the stats, yes. Um, Tell me the stats. Well, so Leicester so far 
according to Opta, have scored no assists or registered no assists from dead balls. They've got two from set plays. The distinction there is that a set play is when play is sort of still in the same phase. So they haven't necessarily got one that's directly from a header from a free kick, but when the ball's bobbling around and stuff, they score right, two. Yeah. That's right at the bottom of the league. Um, so I had to look at how they're taking their set pieces and and kind of the... I mean, they've got two major problems. The first is that Madison uh, has this ability to to whip a ball in quite low um but quite often he's playing it right on the margin of where the offside line is and so it's either quite easy for the first man to head out or it's going straight through to the goalkeeper because he's trying to angle it in towards this is particularly from Leicester's left-hand side to have runners bursting beyond they also just aren't that large a side. So if they no. float it up, which Leicester tend not to do, um, when those uh, attacking the, the the set piece ball are static, which again seems to be an issue, uh, they're not really generating any momentum. So when Leicester have taken good free kicks, they've either been quite clever ones where they've sort of chipped it into a wide space and then had a player trying to pull it back, or they've they did the, there was one against Southampton that was quite good where actually the central defenders stood back and then ran forwards following the flight of the ball so they could attack it forwards, but for some reason they tend not to have been doing this all of that 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 much of the time. It's it's static, it's predictable. The first ball is going too close to the goalkeeper, or the centre halves that are defending it are able to knock it out because Leicester's guys are so static. It it just seems like they're not. They're not really thinking that much about how they can maximise those opportunities. Yeah, it's interesting. Except they are uh, third in the league, uh, but joint points, uh, 46 with Manchester United in second. It seems unusual to me. Maybe it's not, but it seems unusual to me that a team that is sort of that well-established, you know, in mid-season within the top four is also bottom of the league for stuff relating to set pieces like this. Because the, the, the other stat I think Alex didn't mention is that they are 18th in the Premier League with three goals from set pieces overall. Uh, and that feels like with the quality of delivery that they have, they are a small team, as mentioned, but they do have players like Fafana, Evans, Soyuncu, Amati, who are tall and, you know, he's certainly big enough to have an impact. That feels like a kind of odd, um, obviously not hugely affecting their season, but it feels like an, a room for improvement in that area, which could make Leicester even better. Yeah, because especially in a season like this, Joe, because they're cheap goals, aren't they, set-piece goals? They are, they're kind of... And and with with, with someone like Sioncho, I know he's had a few injury issues, and um, obviously Fafana is now out for quite a long time. But you just think that at the very least, even if those players aren't scoring goals, you can probably use them to do something at a set piece situation. You've got Vardy, who's obviously a very instinctive player and can you know cause difficulties around goalkeeper. Ian Acho scored a very nice, uh, not quite set piece header, but you know set piece like header against Brighton in the FA Cup last week and you just think there's opportunities there you have the delivery and you have the utilities to to mine some goals out of this area and yet they don't um they don't seem to do it it's strange and you just wonder also what Leicester could be achieving were they to add that to their game I think that's Mm. the important thing here that's the exciting thing the problem is that certainly in the last few games Leicester seem to be trying to take free kicks in the same way that they try and create other goals which is by having clever little movements that get ahead of defenders 
and so these low whipped um crosses from set pieces that are the bending in towards the goalkeeper so they can play right on the edge of the line to maximize the ability of people like Vardy and Barnes to make those little runs and get fractionally ahead but that's that's a very low percentage way of taking a set piece because as it's bending towards the goalkeeper if the goalkeeper's proactive they can come out and gather it you have to make sure that you are paying attention to where the line is particularly in the VAR era it seems like if they almost if they went back to a kind of more straightforward style of having their larger players making runs from deep and attacking the ball in the direction of the goal rather than sort of standing there and waiting for it to come to them um they they'd have more joy it's it's almost like they're trying to be a bit too clever and and score from set pieces the way they look to score from open play and it's it's not working i mean the good teams from from set piece perspective this season West Ham Everton Southampton although over half of those are just direct from Ward Prowse um and Wolves and Villa and they're all they're all teams with good set piece delivery but also with tall players that aggressively attack the ball uh and Leicester aren't aggressively attacking the ball in that way no okay well speaking of aggressive attacking it's time for Joe's player quotes and facts list it's Joe's Quotes and Facts Database. Yes, that's right. You've joined database. us in the cavern. It, the database. database. What did I call it? Data. You call it a list, the, which really understands Joe's it. Player Quotes and Facts Database. Yeah. Seb, if you um, were a better uh, person who understood funny things better, you'd know that I'm deliberately calling it something different than the jingle every time so that that would be a funny conflict. But you have actually just stepped in and smash that joke to pieces there. So uh, thanks for that. No, no retort. There we go. The quiet, unfunny man. That's what we'll call you, Seb. It's Joe's Quotes and Facts Database. Kasper Schmeichel is a goalkeeper who plays for Leicester City. Now, fact about Kasper Schmeichel. You all ready for the fact? Everyone knows about his dad, but did you know that his granddad was a well-known pianist in Denmark, Tolek Schmeichel? No, I didn't. Nobody I didn't knew know that. that. Can I? Can I just ask? Given that the first time you did this was with Arsenal, and you were working through sequentially by position, uh-huh. why have you jumped to Leicester? I because we were going to talk about Leicester, and, <laughs> and I haven't uh, I haven't finished anything else. I just remembered about ten minutes before uh, that um, you know. I hadn't done this, so I needed to do it. And I knew we were going to talk about Leicester as a dead start. So I figured I'd just do okay. basically yeah. just two I mean, Leicester hey, players it's, here. it's your section, isn't it? So Yeah, well, that's the I'm thing. Not, I mean, I'm it, not it, here it to feels criticize. at the moment not like it is, because first I've had jip from Seb, and now I'm getting jip from you. No, uh, no, no, Adonis, do you want to not... drop in and jip me? I'm just, I'm just asking <laughs> questions. Am I not allowed? Okay. And your question was, tell me a fact and quote about Danny Ward, the second goalkeeper. Exactly that, yes. That's nice, okay. Well, Danny Ward, uh, here's a fact about Danny Ward. He's only made two appearances for all of his parent clubs, and that was Wrexham, Liverpool and Leicester, and both of those were for Liverpool. Uh, Yes. I I mean, I knew that he had made a couple of appearances for Liverpool. Is, is Is he a Welsh international? I think so, yeah. I mean, he's played a lot on loan, and he had a successful campaign with Huddersfield, I believe, but for his parent clubs, just the two. 
Yeah. Uh, which is a kind of odd thing, isn't it? It's a different life, the goalkeepers. It really is. Um, but anyway, his quote, a quote from Danny Ward says, uh, uh, Love it, the boyo. Go and show everyone what you're about, my bro, at Ash Taylor. Look after the codfather for me, big dog. <laughs> Who's the codfather? I don't know. <laughs> wow. What was less, what, sorry, what was Kasper Schmeichel's quote? Quotation. Sorry, I didn't do his Kasper Schmeichel quote. I didn't do Kasper Schmeichel's quotation. Here, here's Kasper Schmeichel's quotation. Your face when you get asked about your dad for the fourth time in a row at a World Cup press conference. I think there was a picture attached to that Instagram quote, but, you know, I'll leave you to imagine. I mean, put it this way. He's not making a massive smiley face with two thumbs up. Uh, but, uh, you know, love it the boyo. What can you do? That's Casper Schmeichel and Danny Ward. Thanks to both of them for their participation. Uh, and we'll be back to Joe's player quotes and lists facts next week, uh, or on actually later this week, when Literally I've remembered to do more of them. It's Joe's quotes and facts database. So that's nice, isn't it? Um, so exciting. Let, let's return to the real world now. Uh, we've got a short period left, and I'm keen to uh, just visit Brendan Rogers just for a moment. I know he's not on the pod plan, gang. I know he's not there. And hands up if anyone wants to take this, but it feels like the Brendan Rogers, the big dad, the cool dad, you know, the daddy-o, daddy-o might be ready for, hmm? Not now, obviously. We don't want to take him away from Leicester City. I'm just saying, you know, would, is, is there a big club out there that's going to take take a take a bit of a gamble on Daddy-O? Aren't Leicester big? Well, no, I just I, I yeah, mean Leicester are big. Yeah, I, I suppose. I'm not I saying suppose... they're not big. I'm just saying like a bit like a club that is distinct from Leicester on its uh, you know on a financial basis, for example. I mean, but isn't that an interesting question? Like Leicester, Leicester are playing extremely well. They've been consistently towards the top end of the division for the last number of seasons. They're more consistently there than some of the other "quote unquote" big six, big seven clubs. Yeah, they've won the Premier League more recently than most of those. Like, I don't make it an interesting question because the list of clubs that you might leave Leicester to go to presumably is now tiny. increasingly small. One of which he's already been at as well with yeah. Liverpool. Yeah. Um, but yes, I mean, I think like look at the the tactical change that he made. I, I think Michael Cox wrote an article about it. Um, against Liverpool in the second half. Like, that was good, clever tactical management. Um, he's getting a lot from younger players. Obviously, Leicester have got a good recruitment set up in the background. Um, most of their signings have paid off, and, and the ones that even have been a bit questionable is largely down to injury rather than anything else. Um, so, yeah, he probably is. But I just I wonder if there's something about Leicester's position, the dynamic there, the fact that there isn't the pressure to bring in huge players on on big wages for big fees and stuff is actually suits him better, um, and it might be the place where he can do the most damage. Seb, Seb, by the way, I just noticed. I just noticed that uh, you actually left the room when I was chastising you. <laughs> you went really quiet when I was mocking you for interrupting me, and I felt bad. But it turns out you actually left the room. I, I actually, I, I, I left. I walked out. I, I not only left the room. I left the flat because we're we're moving house, and we right. uh, we had a an issue with DHL with our, some of our boxes. So I had to. Had to Did you hear me call you the quiet, unfunny man? No, but no. I. Okay, well, I did I do mean, that. No, <laughs> you, okay. Now you know. 
Now, now I know. know. Go on, finish what you were going to say. Yeah. I was going to say, I think Brennan Rodgers is, is exactly where he should be because I, I think if you were a, for instance, a, a Liverpool-sized club, then you would still have reservations about what happened last time he was there and how his his personality responds to that kind of scrutiny and that kind of spotlight. Um, at Leicester, I think he benefits from obviously working with a particular type of player, but also working in a particular type of environment. There's something about Brendan Rodgers, which I'm not sure what the right way is to describe it, but he can become, he becomes his own enemy sometimes and he can get a little bit carried away. And I know some of these things are outdated and he's toned down uh, the more um, outlandish parts of his personality, but it's the stepdad thing. Yeah, the kind of the mo the Raheem Sterling moment from the being Liverpool. Also, the way he carries himself in interviews. He he's learned some lessons, and he's obviously he. I think he's been chastened by some of the criticism, and you know, people people had the you know made fun of him quite. Um, yeah, people were quite cruel at times, and you know the David Brent stuff yeah. was a little bit unfair. But I, I think he's yep. responded to it. But I think people would still have reservations about putting him back in that position until probably until he won something outside of Scotland. I think. Did you ever watch Grandma's House? You know the Simon Amstel uh, sitcom. Only had two series on BBC. No. no. Well, you know Glenn from the thick of it. I do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Glenn plays yeah, yeah. the stepdad in that, or like the mum's boyfriend in that, and he is the best mum's boyfriend stroke stepdad character. He, he's he plays it so well. You can imagine, you know, Glenn. He's gone Glental. Um, yeah. Anyway, speaking of TV, <laughs> oh my god, Adam Curtis has released a new series on the BBC iPlayer. Is everyone enjoying it? I'm still on. He's gone Glental. He's gone Glental. That's a line. For some, a direct for some reason, whenever I think of, it, yeah. of whenever I think of Glenn from the thick of it, I think of that line where somebody shouts at him because he's listening to opera and says it's just vowels, <laughs> <laughs> which which is just yeah yeah. It's, um, listen, it's there's nobody true. watched. Can't get you out of my head. An emotional history. Adam Curtis's uh, six part uh, extravaganza. Nobody, nobody here. Anybody here? Mm-hmm. I feel it's like you're it's... quite close to making this like a mandatory company-wide viewing yep. experience. Pretty sure, your, pretty yeah. sure it's going to yeah. be. And also, yeah. by the way, Tipos, it's a mandatory Tipo viewing exercise. That's right. Uh, we are not sponsored by the BBC, and in fact, probably would be encouraged not to do this. But I insist. I insist. Adam Curtis came up in a. I was reading an article recently about Burial. The the southwest yeah. london musician he loves burial he absolutely loves him yeah yeah he talks about burial in the most hilarious way he, t- he talks about him as if burials discovered some kind of new art it's <laughs> a new it's, way of looking at the world it's fairly interesting but then but yeah. what i find interesting is that the way burial makes music is is not dissimilar to the way adam curtis makes film yeah yeah i think that's I know, why that, I know, you know, I know people always straying. like things that reaffirm their own strengths don't they yeah, that's why I like the best footballers. Anyway, um, do watch that's that. In, it's does the that best include thing. Danny Ward, who's not yeah. made a first team appearance for any does. club He's... since 2017? Yes, it does. And love it, the boyo. That's what I'll say. Look the after Cod the Codfather. Father. 
me big dog. Uh, right, uh, we've got to go now. We're going to talk about Arsenal, I think, probably next week because we had a little bit on the pod plan here uh, in case we had time, but we don't have time. So ever so sorry, Arsenal fans, but we'll get to you and your small club. Yeah, I'm just angry. I'm jonesing. I don't mean it. I'm jonesing. Martin Erdegaard, we're going to talk about That's very exciting. And Bakayo Saka too. I am actually excited about that. But for Thursday, for Thursday, we'll do that. Uh, for now, Seb Stafford-Bloor, thank you. Thank you, Joe Devine. And Alex Stewart, thank you. Thank you, Joe. To the Tipos, to the Flute Gang, to the Tifo friends out there, au revoir. We'll be back on Thursday. Goodbye. Athletic.